you know, it was just a couple episodes ago. We were talking to Mike at Video Game Connections, and he was he's trying to get tickets for this huge concert out in Las Vegas, Nevada, next year, next October, right? He's like, uh, it's the When We Were Young uh, festival, and I guess there's like tons of bands performing albums like My Chemical Romance, Fallout Boy, Jimmy Eat World, Dashboard Confessional, Coheed and Cambria. And he's and I guess he's a fan of a lot of these bands. He's like, you know, these tickets are enormously expensive, like eight hundred dollars each. It's like this whole this whole thing, and it's not until October twenty twenty four. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad I'm not really into any of those bands. I I I wouldn't want to have to like ugh, worry about going out to Las Vegas and getting these super expensive tickets. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, it's not a band I like. Fast forward to a few minutes ago, and I got an email from Fish. My favorite band, Fish, and they are—they announced they're going to be playing the Sphere, <coughs> the Sphere, that brand new, amazing venue in Las Vegas. You go inside, and it's this giant sphere, and every surface is covered with video. It looks utterly amazing, and people have been wondering, considering Fish's uh, relationship with Madison Square Garden, who owns the Sphere. You know, they <coughs> uh, over the summer I saw Fish at the New York Madison Square Garden. Um, Seven nights in a row, and one of the greatest experiences of my life. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I figured they would, but the thing about Fish is that um, you know they've they've never done <coughs> video, or if they did, they kind of quickly backed off. They don't have a big video screen behind them. They they have lighting effects, and that and that's been a big part of their live show. Like when when you go to see some bands, like when I went to see Duran uh, Duran, they had a giant video screen behind them at Madison Square Garden. And the video graphic, graphics were kind of cheesy and kind of silly. So I think Fish is, was trying to avoid that. But now, of course, the opportunity to do the sphere where the video is all around you. Can you imagine what Fish is going to do? Four nights in April. God only knows how much these tickets are. I just saw something. They're $200 each. So it would be 800 for two people, 1600 That's if you get them in the lottery. God only knows. Listen, I have to go. I have to go. I really want to go. And I'd, I'd like to go out to Vegas again, too. But damn, this sounds pretty expensive. <coughs> but I'm very excited about this. The news just broke that they're playing there. <coughs> Let's see. Fish announces four performances at Sphere. It's called Sphere, not The Sphere. Uh, April 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st, 2024. Ticket request period available now through December 11th. So this is like the lottery. Last time I entered the lottery, got nothing. Each of Fish's shows at Sphere will feature completely unique set lists and visuals, making every show a truly once-in-a-lifetime audio-visual experience. So that's actually really cool that uh, this is the first time they're doing anything like something like this. And all four shows will be completely different. And all the videos will be completely different. Wow. Sphere is powered by next-generation technologies, including a 160,000-square-foot LED display inside the main venue bowl that wraps up over and around the audience, creating a fully immersive visual environment. At 16K by 16K, it is the highest-resolution LED screen on Earth. The venue also features Sphere immersive sound, powered by Holoplot, the world's most advanced concert-grade audio system, which delivers audio with unmatched clarity and precision to every guest. A ticket request period is now underway, 
at tickets.fish.com and will continue through 9 a.m. Pacific time on Monday, December 11th. All remaining tickets, as if there be any remaining tickets, go on sale to the general public beginning Friday, December 15th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Remember, in addition, travel packages will go on sale Friday, December 1st at 10 a.m. Pacific time exclusively here. So what what are the travel packages? I don't know if that's... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know if that's uh, necessary. View packages. Uh-oh, here we go. This will give us some idea of the price. The Venetian. I guess that's the closest one. I wonder if they're going to use the Venetian effect. No, that that's uh, from uh, Tubular Bells 2. The Venetian effect. And Tubular Bells... Floor. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, okay. All right. So this is a package. This is a. Okay. So we're getting some idea. This is this is just the tickets in the room, not the airfare. But it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Looking like uh, the cheapest is fifteen hundred per person. Las Vegas Hilton at Resorts World, uh, uh, yeah, to going up to about over two thousand dollars a person. Jeez, man! I thought Mike's concert was bad. This forget about what five. Who has that kind of money? This is ridiculous. But I have to. I have no choice. I have to do it. I have to do it. Ah, well, I have at least I have a few days to because right. It doesn't matter when you enter the lottery, I don't think. I don't think it's first come, first serve. They they draw the numbers out uh, after December 11th. So it's only November 30th now. Okay, okay. Uh, I feel like my life has been upended by this. I mean, obviously I could possibly just ignore it, but how can I ignore it, though? I can't ignore it. I want to stay at the Venetian. Now that I've gone to regular Venice, I want to go, <coughs> I want to, go to fake Venice. Yeah. Anyway, in other news, some sad news. Henry Kissinger has died at age 100. Uh, wow, this guy lived to be 100. He was some character. He was, you know, from back when, like, uh, politicians and politi- <coughs> political characters, he wasn't really a politician. He didn't run, he'd run for office, but he was like, uh, was he Secretary of State and an advisor to President Nixon and some other presidents? And he had that very distinctive voice, which I, I used to imitate him a lot, especially back on my uh, Trade and Crap and Blood show back in 91. Oh, well, hello there. I am. Uh, Hen- I haven't done it in a while. I am uh, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> I haven't done it in a while, but um, <coughs> yeah, I play. I play uh, a lot of Henry Kissinger stuff on the other side. Like, uh, I need to delve more into those Nixon tapes. There's that great tape. It's like, uh, Mr. President. Yeah, yes, Nixon. Doctor Kissinger's on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Put him through. Hello, Mr. President. I just want to tell you your speech uh, went over very well. Well, uh, yeah, let me let me let me ask you this. Did they really like it? Can you imagine two people like Nixon and Kissinger talking to each other? It's like they both have such distinctive voices and they're such weirdos. It's amazing. Henry Kissinger and of course there was that Monty Python my Monty Python song. Henry Kissinger, how I'm missing ya. Remember that one? Was that Eric Idle singing, I think? I think so. Anyway, 
And I, I, the one building I worked in in New York, I could swear his offices were in that building. It said Kissinger on the 30-something floor, but I, I never knew if it was a different Kissinger or not. And didn't I make up a superhero named Kissinger? Didn't I? Did I? I think I did, actually. Let me see if I can find that. I didn't really, I, I mean, you know, I didn't even, he's one of those guys, you know, was he like a Mandela effect? I don't really remember hearing about him dying, but yeah, I knew he was really old. I, I don't think he's Mandela. I think, I think everyone realizes he was still alive until recently. What was the superhero I made up called Kissinger? And are there any, like, brands that are called Kissinger? Because I know there was that, that brand of wristwatches called Nixon. Of course, his name sounds like kissing her, but it's Kissinger. It's not GH, just G. 1923 to 2023. There he is. And I'm sure so many people have considered he's part of the New World Order or whatever. I don't know. He was just a very interesting character. If, if, just mostly because of the way he spoke. There's also that that interview of him with uh, was it, um, not Mike Wallace, right? He's like, well, I do think that uh, nuclear war is too too it, it is too destructive. It will destroy the entire world. Remember that interview? I think I played that on the other side as well. Let me find that superhero. How long will this take to find my superhero? Hold on, I'll hit pause so I can find the superhero version. Kitty? 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 Yes, Kitty? What's the matter? You want the window open? Okay, but it's very cold out, Kitty. Come on. Alright, you can just have it for a few minutes. Don't you remember in, in the winter we don't open the window as much, Kitties? <clears throat> All right, I'm, I may be mistaken here, but I, I'm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I had this uh, superheroes in New Jersey thing called uh, Antebellum, and uh, Kissinger was a male M massive. Was it a massive? Kind of like a Hulk kind of guy. They have two f things, and then W-I, what was that? A massive, wild, furry, fanged, and clawed. So he's kind of like a, a big f Hulk, furry, fanged, and clawed guy. Kind of, probably the closest thing you could think of would be like uh, the Marvel superhero Sasquatch. So Kissinger is just this giant, furry creature. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, my uh, superhero thing, yeah. yeah. That, that, that never went anywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, rest in peace, Mr. Kissinger. I don't know. What are all the conspiracy theories about him? There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm on the site with Nixon tapes. I wonder if we can hear him talking to Kissinger. Hello? Hello, Henry? Mr. President. Oh, since you got back, have you been infected yet with the Washington virus? Not yet, Mr. President. Mm -hmm. I... I think we're on the right course. I've let the speech over. And I think it is very strong now. Yeah, it's a pretty good speech, actually. I think it's an excellent speech. Yeah, it's got a lot of is he kick it, kissing Nixon's ass? That's what he's kissing. <laughs> I, I, 
told Rose to tell Buchanan that you, and you had the same thing, that both you and Buchanan said, you don't know what the hell's going to be in it. Right. Uh, I, I listen to these two maniacs talk to each other. <laughs> to do that for the reason that I, that I might change it. And so I am not I a crook. Just as well to know that, you know, I, because I know that, uh, you know, we get the usual, uh, the usual staff jitteriness and uh, Damn, there's so many, there's like hundreds of conversations here. What's the last one? That's the first one on, uh, chronologically they have, I think. I'm just not going to let them think they affected me one way or the other. Let's go to the last one. I got to hear all these tapes. So that, that tape was from, uh, let's see, April 71. The last one is from February 73. I guess that that's sort of the range of time that the taping system was in there. Mr. President, Mr. Kissinger. There you are. Mr. President. <laughs> Mr. President. I'm just preparing for this uh, uh, news thing, and I... What about the POW thing? Right. I'm just getting the material together, Mr. President. Apparently, a North Vietnamese lieutenant colonel uh, in uh, Saigon has now said, well, almost officially, that they are holding up the release. That's what was in the paper this morning, you Sending, see. Uh, I can listen to this all day. And then Nixon starts going, sons of bitches. Such funny guys. Entirely on our side, which suggests that we are largely responsible for them. We're not entirely on our side. That's right. Let's see, any more? Uh, how about somewhere in the middle? Let's just say so many. How about January 72? That wasn't, that was not, hmm, that wasn't him. How about this one from the same one? Hello? Mr. Kissinger, yeah. Mr. Holdeman returned your call at 921 <coughs> and he just asked me about it again. Get him, please. Yes, I will. Hold on. Was it on hold? What's going on here? Hello? Hello, Mr. President. Yeah. Is it what is this the erase section? What's going on here? Uh oh, bad connection. There you are. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm with the president here, and we wanted to check whether how the reactions were. Extremely good. Extremely good. Haldeman wasn't wasn't he someone involved with Watergate or something? Is there any other any more good ones? Here's like a long one. Let's see. Also, also from January of '72. The president, the Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. Uh oh. What was? What's this? What are they bleeping out? Good. Happy You're fucking New Year. Now. Yeah, I'm back in New York. Right. Right. Redacted. Okay. Interesting. Well, anything uh, new? No. Uh, we'll have to take it to What's new, Henry? About half an hour ago. That's good. I'll sure. take right away. No, I, I, I read the papers. There's not anything in there. But last night when I checked last, there wasn't anything new there was. <laughs> I, get, I get such a kick I out of these two guys talking. I didn't bother you with all the... Oh, you mean the... That ...mutations of Malta. Oh, the hell with that. Try to get you up. The hell with that. We didn't put him through because... Sons of bitches. Whatever you would have said, you would have been in the middle of it. And we put him on to Ellsworth, who had been out there as your ambassador. Who? As Bob Ellsworth, we sent out on a... Who? Oh, yeah. Who are these people? 
close the window. Heck are they talking about this? Mm-hmm. It's very deep political stuff here from the many years ago, 50, 50 some odd years ago. Well, I don't know. I suppose Ellsworth talked about about all that to him, yeah. And but what he, the result of all of that is that he has extended his deadline. And yeah. we have said... How old are these? Now, I wonder how old are these guys during this conversation? Are they younger than I am now or older? That's a good question. This happened in uh, January of 1972. It's going to annoy me if they're young, if they're younger than me. When was Nixon born? Let's see. Why am I? I'm not. I, I can't stop talking like them now. <clears throat> Richard Nixon, 1913. So, actually born January 9th. So uh, we say uh, 1971 minus. He was 58. Yay, he was older than me. Yay. Just barely. <laughs> wow. We know Kissinger was born in 23, so he's he's a lot younger, though. He's 10 years younger than Nixon. I did not realize that. So, let's see. He's 48. So, so yeah, so he's younger than me. There, yeah. Interesting. Why does it all have to be about me? Yeah, and we've told Heath we would up the ante a little bit. That we would help Heath with the ante. With the ante, that's right. Yeah. We are not talking to him ourselves. Yeah. No, never talk to Mintoff. Let the British do, the, uh, do it. Right. But we have sent but a those British do it. Yeah. Saying we are prepared to up the... Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. there's a million of them. I really, I've been meaning to go through those tapes more. It's at nixontapes.org. <clears throat> I like the, also the one where Ronald Reagan calls him. Well, hello there, Mr. President. Can we find some of these? Wow, he called. He didn't call quite as much. Obviously, he wasn't in the administration. Here's here's, here's a random one with uh, Reagan. It was the California governor or the ex-California governor at the time? I think. Ooh. President Johnson. Hello. Well, you just called the president, Vice President John, uh, Johnson. Jeez. Uh, hell, I don't want that. I, I, I want I want Reagan, Governor Reagan. Hello. Yes, President. Hello. Ford on the line, sir. Yes. Hello, Jerry. Jerry Ford. Just one link. Where is Where's Reagan? Come on. Hello. Congressman Ford, Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. President. Hi, Jerry. Freaking Jerry Ford. That guy's boring as hell. He doesn't have a funny voice. His his his, his gimmick was that he that he would always. F- fall out of, out of airplanes and stuff. He'd tumbling down the stairs constantly. And Chevy Chase would imitate him on uh, Saturday Night Live. He didn't have that kind of voice, you know. Is there any Reagan here? I mean, it, this is ridiculous. Is it all Ford? Is it, is it a sc- President Johnson, sir. President Johnson? I was trying to reach you. I just announced the death of J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> right. President... I'm getting all confused here. Ambassador Bush, sir. George. George Bush. How are you doing? How are you doing? The purpose of this call is simply to. I have no idea. There's there's no Reagan in it. These are all of the the greatest hits of all the various. Uh, 
Oh, it's different presidents. Okay, okay. Hold on, hold on. <clears throat> Here we go. I, I, RWR, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Okay, I, I, I misinterpreted this uh, system. Now we got Reagan. Yeah. Governor Reagan, sir. Yeah. Governor Reagan, sir. Hello. Hello. I just wanted to tell you that I will be in flight when you're meeting with Henry, but I wanted to wish you well on your trip, and uh, I hope you'll uh, have the... Nancy will have a time to enjoy it a little and not just work all the time. Well, thank you very yeah. much. I'm sure we yeah. will. Right. Yeah. <laughs> His tapes are amazing. Any other good? Like, how about how about when he met with Elvis? Did we have that, or was that was there an audio on that? Remember, he he met with Elvis, <clears throat> Elvis Presley. I don't know if there's audio on that though. Joe Biden. Oh wow, he actually met with Joe Biden. Are you kidding? Hmm. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm skimming this. I want to see if there's actually a. Is he? Is he? They're talking about Joe Biden back in 1972. Yeah, weird, weird stuff. There's a lot going on. Jeez, man. George Schultz, Donald Rumsfeld, Leon Panetta, uh, any, any other interesting? Edward M. Kennedy, Lyndon Baines Johnson, Alexander Haig. Remember, he, he, he was the guy that took over the government that one time. As of now, I'm in control. That guy was a maniac. Can we hear him talking to... Uh... General Haig, Mr. President. Yeah, yes, sir. Now... One point that I may not have made clear, I do not want this second uh, exercise I pointed out to be limited to new countries. <clears throat> it's to include all countries, see? What the hell are they talking about? This guy who, 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 who was the president for like five seconds. Al Haig in control. Remember this? <clears throat> he claimed to be in control of the government. <laughs> He wasn't, though. That's insane. I think after Reagan got shot by that guy that was in love with Jodie Foster, he's like, I am in control. No, this is not it. I have to. It's an ad. And there are absolutely no. So he was Secretary of State. So he wasn't, like, it goes Vice President and then Speaker of the House and then Speaker Pro Tempore of the Senate and maybe then Secretary of State. I'm not sure. Measures that are necessary at this time. So what is this, 81, maybe? Uh, now, if you have some questions, I'd be happy to take Crisis them. management, that's what it's effect. And everyone was worried. They thought it was a coup. They thought Al Haig was going to become our new dictator. Praise Haig. Who is making the decisions for the government right now? Who's making the decisions? Constitutionally, gentlemen, you have the president, the vice president, and the secretary of state in that order. Mm, I don't know about that. Decide he wants to tr transfer the helm to the vice president. He he will do so. As of now, I am in control here Ooh. in the White House pending return of the vice president and in, in close touch with him. If something came up, I would check with him, of course. What? See, yeah, I think he, he got a little ahead of himself there. Uh, yeah. Any, any context on this? 
maybe he's talking about in the administration. Hold on, let me get some more context on this. Al, we've, we've been derailed. Sorry, Kissinger. Now we're on to Al Haig. Now, is he alive or dead? That's a damn good question. We'll have to get to that next. Now, I have not looked at this yet. I'm going to think, I, I, th- I have to think Al Haig has got to be dead. And I'm saying to say he died in 2015 at age 76. What's your guess? Twenty. I'm saying he died in 2015 at age 76. Let's see what how we're doing here. He died in 2010 at age 85. Mm, I was kind of. I I failed. I failed. I failed. Of course. Okay. Let's see. All right. So what is he saying about this? Uh, <clears throat> Reagan assassination and attempt. I am in control. <laughs> this guy. Al Haig. I wonder if he really thought he was going to become like the leader of the free world. I don't know. This poor guy. Let's see. Uh, in 1981, following the March 30th assassination attempt on Reagan, Haig asserted before reporters, I am in control here as a result of Reagan's hospitalization, including that while President Reagan had not transferred the helm, Haig was in fact directing the White House crisis management until President, Vice President George Bush arrived in Washington to assume the role. And then they give that quote we just, we just heard. The U.S. Constitution includes both the presidential line of succession and the 25th Amendment dictates what happens when a president is incapacitated. <clears throat> the Speaker of the House, at the time Tip O'Neill, a Democrat, and the President Pro Tempore of the Senate, at the time Strom Thurmond, Republican, precede the Secretary of State in the line of succession. Haig later clarified, I wasn't talking about transition. I was talking about the executive branch, who was running the government. That was the question asked. It was not who is in line should the president die. Okay, so, yeah, that was in 60 minutes. He, he, was, he was defending himself. This guy, did you try to take over the Remember that time, Al, you tried to take over the government? No! I was talking, I wasn't talking about that. Freaking guy. Strom Thurmond could have been president. He was, uh, he had some controversies, right? The hell, uh, he was part of, uh, wasn't he, uh, something? What, what were his controversies? I'm trying to say. Mm hmm. Uh, I'm trying to find it. See, it wasn't the Ku Klux Klan. That was that was Senator Byrd, right? Was in the Ku Klux Klan. But this Strom Thurmond had something going on. Uh, in 1925, Thurmond had an affair with Carrie Butler, his family's teenage African American house cleaner. What? 1925. How old is this guy? Well, we have the internet. We can find out. Uh, he was born in 1902. Uh, okay. And died in 2003. He was 100. He was, was he also 100 years old? Whoa! Yeah, another one of these guys that lived to 100. Wow. We're all over the map here. Uh, uh, yeah. Wow. What was the controversy with him, though? 
Was Strom Thurmond racist? No, I can't, I can't get the article. Ugh. They're also wondering if he was a rapist or a racist. Um, hmm. Strom Thurmond was a prominent South Carolina politician and vocal segregationist. Okay, that's the thing. He was, he was, in, he was promoting segregation or something. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Do you ever know as politicians usually much be much more interesting? Well, I guess some of them are still interesting, but yeah. I don't know. Oh, the sphere thing. Okay. Okay. I got to spend thousands of dollars to go see fish now. Yes, I want to though. I do. I Anyway, on to, on to other topics. Uh, today's episode is called Quecto Dorado. Yes, Quecto Dorado. The heck is Quecto Dorado? I mean, come on. Um, the show art is actually a painting my grandmother did, Evelyn Sappenfield, my mother's mother, whose movies, whose home movies I've, I've been watching. I have six hours of the home movies, and I'm in some of them as a little, as a little child. Uh, I still need to watch more of it. I've only about two hours into the six hours, but uh, she was a painter, and uh, I still have a lot of her paintings. But one set of her paintings, luckily, just a few of them, had uh, severe water damage, and were e in fact still like like moist and sopping wet and very terrible. So I did throw those away, uh, but I took pictures of them. This one, uh, I didn't realize how great this image was. It's sort of these. Uh, pink mountains and sort of a purple sky and these birds flying like like one of those v formations of geese kind of thing but they're flying towards the left hand side of the image which is this incredible water damage which looks really beautiful in a way and um yeah so i i figured i would use that as the show art and uh trying to figure out a show title um i had uh Recently, I, I was very. I wanted to do sort of a, a sequel to the uh, an episode I did called Yocto Dorado, right? I always liked that title. Uh, it's for the Overnight Escape 1366. That was from uh, February 21st, 2017, a long time ago now. Yocto Dorado. And in fact, I think I had one of those, one of those superheroes was also called Yocto. Wait a minute. It's all, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> Where is this again? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll find it. Here it is. Yeah, from Hudson County, Yocto was like this another like massive astronaut. It's it's well, that'd be a cool superhero, right? It's like this sort of sort of like the Hulk, huge but like like an astronaut. Yeah, he's a massive astronaut named Yocto, and um, yeah. So Yocto Dorado, the original one, it was a, uh, I think it was the image was a restaurant. Well, let me, let me find the image. A restaurant um, at that uh, at that shopping center. You know what I'm talking about, that shopping center? Um, no? <laughs> Wait a second. Let me see. Do, do, do. Wait, where's the image? Hold on a second. I'll, 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 I'll find it. Hold on. Um the same shopping center that recently I had a show a show art of it you remember that one remember that seems uh, uh, what's the name of it? oh it's on the tip of my tongue the name of that shopping center 
Troy Hill Shopping Center, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was that um it was that episode I did recently called uh yeah, Lock and Chase, yeah. That was uh, in the same parking lot on the other side of the parking lot facing the other direction. You see what I'm saying? Cuz we used to go to that strip mall a lot. And uh yeah, Yocto Dorado, yeah. Yeah, hold on one second here. We'll find it. Listen, it's only a matter of time before we find it. <clears throat> okay. Coming right up. Yes. Yeah, here it is. It's an image, uh, yeah, in the parking lot, and there's like a, a pool of water. And is that a restaurant? What 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 business is that? That was back in 2017. Maybe I can go on, on the Google Street View um, and see exactly what business that was. Troy Hill Shopping Center. There it is. Okay. All right. And maybe they have a Street View from that time period. Yeah. So looking at the satellite image here, it was. Oh, maybe it was the Wells Fargo Bank actually. Yeah. There's an Applebee's and a Wells Fargo Bank. Let me see what the image could have been of. It, one of the two. Um, and what's that? Yeah, yeah. It looks more like the uh, the Wells Fargo, I think. Yeah, yeah. The little drive-through section there. Yeah, I think that's what you're seeing in the image, actually. Yeah. So it would have been on the other side. Then, right. I was the other pictures on the other side of the parking lot by the Target. Yeah. Or towards the middle of the parking lot. Yeah. Getting very granular here. Anyway, so Yocto Dorado. So the the whole idea is uh, Yocto is is one of these metric prefixes, right? Um, you know, like a megabyte is a million bytes. A millimeter is one one thousandth of a meter. Well, uh, Yocto at the time was one of the uh, the smallest you could get, right? So um, I guess it was back in 1991, they added uh, these two prefixes. Uh, uh, the big one, the bigger ones, Zeta and Zada. Sorry, Zeta and Yada. Uh, Zeta meaning a sextillion and Yada meaning a septillion. And then on the other end, Zepto meaning a sextillionth and Yocto meaning a, a septillionth. Um were added, and uh, I always wondered why they didn't go further. Well, fast forward to late 2022, about a year ago, they added two. I did not. I did not know this. I somehow missed the news that about a year ago they added two more, uh, four more prefixes. So on the high end, Rana, right? Rana is is for an octillion. So like a Rana byte would be an octillion bytes of data, and then Queta, a nonillion. A quetabyte would be a nonillion bytes, yeah. And on the other end, there's ronto, which is an octillionth, and quecto, a nonillionth. Uh, yes, so a nonillionth. So it's very t- quecto is very tiny. So as kind of a uh, sequel to yocto dorado, I decided to go all the way to quecto dorado. It could have been ronto dorado. That's that sounds interesting too. But quecto dorado, yes. And uh, you know, both of them sort of represent places. Uh, El Dorado, of course, is that mythical city of gold, 
that you've heard so much about. I don't really know so much about it. I just know it's there's a legend. Who came up with this legend, though? What does it even mean, El Dorado? Like there's this city made of gold in, in South America. It sounds like something in another dimension or something. Um, right. <clears throat> El Dorado is commonly associated with a legend of a gold city, kingdom, or empire purportedly located somewhere in the Americas. Originally, El Hombre Dorado, the Golden Man, or El Rey Dorado, the Golden King, was the term used by the Spanish in the 16th century to describe a mythical tribal chief or king of the Muisca people, an indigenous people of the Altiplano Cundiboy Asense of Colombia, who, in, as an initiation rite, covered himself with gold dust and submerged in Lake Guadavida. Wait, what? Wait, wait, what? So it was a chief who covered himself with gold dust and submerged in the lake. But then, like, did he die or did he just come out of the lake and he, the gold was washed off? Like, what the hell? A second location for El Dorado was inferred from rumors, which inspired several unsuccessful expeditions in the late 1500s in search of a city called Manoa on the shores of Lake pa Parime or Parima. Two of the most famous of these expeditions were led by Sir Walter Raleigh. He was such a stupid git. No, no, that's a different song. And because Sir Walter Raleigh, he was such a stupid git. Oh, no, no. I'm so tired. I haven't slept a wink. Although I'm so tired, my mind is on the blink. Wonder should I get up and mix myself a drink? Yes, the Beatles. In pursuit of the legend, Spanish conquistadores and numerous others searched what is today Colombia, Venezuela, and parts of Guyana and northern Brazil for the city and its fabulous king. In the course of these explorations, much of northern South America, including the Amazon River, was mapped. By the beginning of the 19th century, most people dismissed the existence of the city as a myth. The legend of the seven cities of gold, seven cities of Cibola, led to Francisco Vázquez de Coronado's expedition of 1540 across the New Mexico Territory. This became mixed with the stories of El Dorado, which was sometimes said to be one of the seven cities. Several literary works have used the name in their titles, sometimes as El Dorado, two words, and other times as El Dorado, one word. Wow. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So so I guess Yacto Dorado means sort of a very small mythical world, and Cuecto Dorado is even smaller mythical place. It's just a weird title. I like it, Cuecto Dorado. Yeah, man. Yeah. The font, by the way, is uh, Regina Black. For those that are wondering, but yeah, I have a lot. I I haven't taken pictures of the other paintings I have from my grandmother. I probably should photograph all those. Uh, I remember her painting. That was that was one of her big things. She was a very interesting person, and I, you see a lot of her in these movies. I'm watching the movies um, that she that she made. You see her a lot. She's a very uh, Evelyn Safferfield, very mysterious character. She uh, she loved smoking cigarettes. That's what killed her eventually. Emphysema. 
She had that in, in, incredible um, Mustang. She drove around a, a Mustang, Ford Mustang. It was gold. It was an automatic. And I remember the interior was sort of like this leather. It was black. I remember it got super hot when it was sunny out and all reeked of cigarettes. And she she moved out to Montana. She was a real interesting person. The paintings, the movies. And she lived with us for a while, so I knew her very well. Evelyn Sappenfield. Yeah, I got to check out her other paintings. So in other news, uh, the estate sale uh, starts tomorrow. It's uh, all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is my parents' house. Of course, uh, my parents passed away within the past two years. My mother passed away in early uh, 2021. My father passed away this year, uh, May of 2023. It's been a tough process, you know, uh, obviously. Um, the house that we grew up in, um, you know, we're going to sell. And I went, as you may have heard on the show here, I, I went through uh, the entire house to try to make sure that uh, I got everything. Uh, you know, me and my brother and sister got everything that out that shouldn't be at the estate sale, right? The idea is that, uh, you know, at the moment a person dies, they, they're belongings enter into an estate and um, my brother's the executor of the estate it's the legal framework around because um, you know once someone is dead they can't own things anymore the estate is this legal entity that exists until all the property is uh, uh, dealt with and um, yeah so our choice was you know none of us wanted to try and like get you know keep the house none of us can really afford it or want to live there or whatever and all the stuff you know we each of us only has so much capacity to take any stuff and so i went through the whole house and uh you know found a lot of stuff brought a lot of stuff home you know focusing on the personal stuff personal items photographs etc and once i was completely done which was a long process I, I had to psychologically prepare myself that the next step is the estate sale and all of the rest of what's there is going to be sold and or thrown in a dumpster and or whatever. Uh, so the other day, uh, my brother sent me a link. They did, uh, the estate sale people did um, post to the estate sale uh, website, one of the estate sale websites, uh, like 200 pictures uh, of how they set up the house. So the house is now like a store. People can go and buy all the stuff uniquely weird and disturbing, but also the sense of relief, the catharsis that after it's all done, I think. Right. These were things that my parents, you know, loved while they were alive and gave them great pleasure to look at and collect and everything else. And now that they're no longer here, there's really nothing more we can do. We just have to clear the house out and uh, sell it. And the house will hopefully be on the market within a week or two. Still a seller's market, I think. So hopefully we'll, it'll be sold s sooner than later. It is weird. I mean, it's a house that moved in and when I was just a little kid in 1972, I lived there uh, till college. Then after college, I moved back home for a few years, but then I moved out again. 
yeah, so yeah, we're going to stop by just to take a look. I have to see it. I have to experience it for myself, the estate sale. And, uh, you know, that'll be it. They're going to need a few more days to clear the whole house out, swept clean condition, and uh, then the realtor gets to work. Yeah, it's a strange process. I know a lot of people have to deal with it. It's uh, one of these weird aspects of uh, this plane of existence where death is uh, pretty permanent and wherever you go you don't come back here as the same person it's all your stuff is uh you know you can't take it with you this that song by alan parsons project can't take it with you no matter what you do no you can't take it with you not the place you're going to. Yeah. And it makes me think about my own stuff, you know. That I do want to get it in more order before the time comes. Unless there's some sort of breakthrough where we don't have to die so soon. But that's not, you know. I don't know. I, I don't know that, uh, you know, I, I certainly would assign a high percent value to an afterlife. So I don't know that. I think I think the idea is that you can kind of, you know, the idea that, you know, you live a life, then you can sort of reboot and live another life or live somewhere else or something, you know. But we don't know. We don't know if there's an afterlife. Like I was watching that debate atheist versus religion debate whatever but they're calling it like a, ba a Bayesian or Bainesian they both agreed that uh, one of them was Stephen Meyer they both agreed that you uh, would, would rate any proposal idea on, on a scale of 1 to 99% that is cause considering uh, that we're living in this the world we can never know anything for sure in this situation other than we are experiencing something Beyond that, the nature of things, we don't know. There's a lot that we don't know. Though I, I would say that some of my thinking is that um, we do know, though. At some level, we do know. But anyway, we'll get back to that. The, the idea is that uh, anything, is there life after death? Well, we can't know for sure. We can't say, no, there's no life after death, or it definitely is. So yeah, everything falls within 1 in 99%. And, I mean, that's a difficult, I think it's a difficult thing for people to accept the fact that we you can't really know these things, but that you can assign a percent value to it. I think that I was glad that both members of that, in that debate, agreed with that. Because I think where we get into trouble is where people absolutely believe things one way or the other. Which I understand, you know, like uh, some things that you give a 99, you know, like, uh, you know, we, we don't know moment to moment, will gravity exist the next moment? We just sort of assume that it will. So when we walk around, we're sort of assuming gravity will maintain the same state and it seems to work for us walking around. Of course, any moment, gravity could reverse and we could all fly up in the air. 
could happen, but right, we've observed this, it's been consistent and in not in terms of philosophical or cosmic truths, but in terms of practicality, yeah, we don't know, but we're going to just uh, assume it, assume it's going to keep going the same way. Right? And that's a whole different field, you know, how 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 much can you assume if something's been really consistent and continues to be consistent, you can kind of operate as if, yes, that's going to keep going. We don't know, but it's a 99.9% that it's going to keep going. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But anyway, on the issue of knowing, I mean, what's really um, um, the idea is that in this debate in which we find ourselves currently as human beings on planet Earth and we're trying to figure out what is going on. I know this, it may sound tiresome or cliche to talk about this, but this really is, to me, uh, a question that I face every day. It's something that I'm very, sorry, Kitty, (laughs) he was on my lap, but I moved my leg and he, Kitty, I'm sorry. Um, I think about this every single day. What is actually going on? What is this situation? What is this scenario? And, you know, I'm generally assuming that this is a kind of a, a construct, a simulation, a VR, or some artificial world that I, as a higher being, am sort of projecting myself into, entering into, a la the Matrix, etc., right? And... The idea is that if I am actually a being at one, at another level up, clearly I can't exactly remember who I am or what I am or what's going on on that next level up. And again, there might be multiple layers, right? It could be, you know, you know, sitting in a sitting on a chair, plugging something into the back of your head like in the Matrix, and going into a, this other world, and where somehow the knowledge of where you just were is blocked through some mechanism. And this, and then in that simulation, you could sit in the chair and get plugged in and, you know, like that whole Inception thing, the multiple layers thing, which I know has been awfully cliched in fiction, but the point I'm trying to make here is that um, what would then be the mechanism by which the cognition of or knowledge that you should possess, let's just talk about if we were to create an interface similar to the matrix where you could actually surgically implant uh, receptors inside someone's brain and you could literally plug something in the back of your head. The idea is it would intercept the um, sensory input from your body, right, replace it with a computerized input. So how you feel your body, your arms and your legs, you move, you turn your head around, you, your eyes, your hearing, everything, those are all, in theory, electrical signals that are being delivered to the brain and being then converted into an experience for the consciousness. Now, of course, the consciousness is the part of this whole question that we don't know where that consciousness is or what creates consciousness. It's a, it's, it's a, a sense of observing a sense of self, that's a complete utter mystery. But if we were to say 
um, right? You could reproduce the signals from the parts of the body, as I'm assuming in the fictional Matrix movies, the technology is sort of implied to be something like that, where it's kind of intercepting the point of your actual body's signals going to your brain, replacing them with computer-generated signals. So normally there's a type of signal, oh, this is my arm, I'm moving my arm around, I see my arm. You can uh, replace it with fictional signals of your computerized arm, right? But then you get to the point of thought, cognition, thinking, imagination, these types of things. And um, that's sort of where our, our current sense of self is, right? A sense, our, the knowledge, the sense of self, cognition, thinking, etc. The idea is, uh, would that also be potentially computerized? In which case you could say, um, you could... S- you'd be sort of intercepting the normal cognitive thoughts and in the same way the sense of touch is being intercepted, the sense of cognition is being intercepted and being replaced. You can easily sort of imagine that the signals from your actual body are uh, that are still coming into your brain are being uh, prevented from reaching the brain, right? Be, be, because these artificials of, the, of your avatar's body is now replacing that in this thought experiment, right? But how do we deal with cognition or thinking, right? We've, we could imagine, for example, your body being numbed. This is essentially numbing your real body in a way. It's just cutting off those signals. But what could it do in terms of we're assuming that whatever we are at the next level up, the, the beings that are plugged into this thing, we have a capacity of cognition and thought. Right? This is where it gets complicated because are you saying that the cognition, we're talking about signals from the body entering the brain, but the cognition's already in the brain. When it comes to that, cognition, is it intercepting that and replacing it with a completely artificial cognition? Right? You know what I'm saying? This is where it gets weird because and I'd have to think about it more, but it does seem that could it numb your actual cognition and completely replace it with a new set of cognition? And I said, I guess that would be possible as a mechanism. That sort of goes against what I was going to say, which is that I feel like the actual cognition can't be completely turned off, but it can be um, overwhelmed by the strength of the signal. That is, the artificial cognition could be much stronger than your actual cognition. I don't know. I'm, I, I, things are getting pretty sketchy here in terms of my theory, my theory at this point. But since, right, we are the obs- observing consciousness that is experiencing this, the mystery of what is going on is contained within our own selves. Assuming that, again, if you were to wake up, oh my God, 
the earth and the and human life is is a matrix now i'm here at this level right you're somewhere else you're someone else who knows how different it is from are they still human there or are they completely alien life forms and the whole human thing is just fictional right you wouldn't then know the full truth but you'd know more about this world right and then you could imagine waking up the next level up oh my god the world where i was where i was projecting into the earth now that's also fictional but the the consistent thing with all of these is the consciousness the observer the mind, the actual mind you see you see what i'm saying no matter how many russian doll levels uh, of meta levels are we're dealing with here the actual observer the actual consciousness is consistent throughout right whether the the consciousness is experiencing a cognition that understands itself or not that cognition is that consciousness is always there and you could say that more than anything else that consciousness is who we are right so we're dealing with this major mystery and yet we are the answer to it like the answer to it is the thing that makes us us it's the consciousness so at the heart of the mystery like right now i am observing this i am right ex again experiencing it i'm observing it and the capacity i have to observe represents the my true nature our true nature the point of all this is that it while it doesn't seem so it's so maddening because the thing that makes us us it transcends this whole place potentially so could you really try to the the idea is is there any trace of knowledge of what's really going on even at this level and i would say that that is a possibility that right now i could possibly in a very subtle way know right but it's very subtle it's very small it's quecto compared to um the the thoughts about this level in my life here it's a quecto value Urgh, it's so frustrating. Anyway, whatever system we're living in, there's always fun discoveries like this one I just discovered. Look at this. I love the Internet Archive and looking at old magazines. This is a magazine called Video Games, uh, Volume 1, Number 7, from April 1983. And of course, I always talk about this time period. Uh, what an amazing time period for pop culture, video games, and everything else. Soon to change, as, as I've mentioned so often, the Christmas season in 1983 represented a big blowout for the video game uh, retail community, especially home video games, more than the arcades, actually. So many companies that 
were producing games, especially for the Atari VCS slash 2600, went out of business because there were far more games being produced than people to buy them. Anyway, um, this is a comic strip called Joy Sticks by Gene Williams. And this is from 82. And uh, it is these guys playing a video game, and then there's all these characters standing, sort of waiting in line to play the game. It says, boy, you see all types in an arcade these days. And they're all different cartoon characters. Let me read you what it says here. You'll never see a lineup like this again, except perhaps t- except perhaps in your wildest cartoon-slash-arcade fantasy. <laughs> what is your wildest cartoon-slash-arcade fantasy? I don't know. V- video games cartoonist Gene Williams tracked down four of the country's leading comic strip artists at Gallery Felice in New York last fall. Each added his own inimitable characters to this Joy Sticks strip. No questions asked. I was expecting the worst, Williams said. Instead, everyone was really cooperative. From left to right, Williams scat and whiz bangs. Followed by Mort Walker's Beetle Bailey, Mel Casson's Arnold from Boomer, Bill Host's Agatha Crumb, and Brad Gilchrist's Gonzo from The Muppets. So, there's a lot going on here. So it's it, it, so this comic strip essentially, um, I guess they must have been at a at a, ga- a, a place called Gallery Felice. A, a, there were a gathering of comic strip artists. Maybe it was a, a a gallery show for comic strips, and he had them all draw their characters on this strip. So. Of the ones I'm familiar with, I mean, obviously, Beetle, ba- Beetle Bailey was huge. It's a comic strip by Mort Walker about this guy in the army. He's kind of lazy and kind of a ne'er-do-well kind of guy, Beetle Bailey. And, of course, Gonzo from the Muppets. There was, I guess, a Muppets comic strip. Gonzo, of course, was a major character in starting in The Muppet Show. And he's been one of the major Muppets since. Then we have Agatha Crumb. And I was looking at her. I'm like, who is that? Is that Mary Worth? I'm like, no, no. Mary Worth was more realistic. I have not thought about Agatha Crumb in a long time. Let me look up Agatha Crumb because uh, it does ring a bell. Agatha Crumb. Comic strip, right? Yeah. Bill Hurst's. Ooh. You can buy the actual artwork of, of the comic strip? What? Wait a minute. For only $5? Wait, what is going on here? No, these are just cut out of newspapers. Now, wait a minute. It's not original art. All right, but let's see. Agatha Crumb. See, they're spelling it differently here. C-R-U-M-M. There they C-R-U-M-B. Hmm. But we could, ooh, some deliveries. Look at this. <laughs> what is being delivered here? Hmm. A lot of deliveries. The UPS man is right on my porch. Uh, Agatha Crumb is this old woman with a black, wearing black and a black hat with a rose on it, I guess. So these are actually, yes, these are comic strips that were cut out of a newspaper. I thought there was original art or something. No, but we can actually read them. We can read the comic strips, correct? 
let's see if this is funny. First one, here's Agatha looking through a telescope. Two policemen are putting handcuffs on a man. And this young, attractive secretary says, It's nice to know the police are doing their duty. Nice, my foot. He's my investment broker. Hmm, what? Here's Agatha Crumb with her cane pointing to one of those financial charts where the graph is going down, representing financial ruin. What shall we do about it, gentlemen? And all the uh, the businessmen are like, Request a depletion allowance. Blame Washington. Get rid of the Deadwood. I know, Mother. Turn it sideways. So what is she like? A she's like a, a business tycoon. I, I I mean, Agatha Crumb rings a bell, but I don't have any specific memories about it. Here we go. She's getting in a car with this little girl. I love when you're my babysitter, Grandma. Will you tell me about the three bears again? Of course, Bunny. And how they were wiped out in a bull market. Okay, so she's like this rich businesswoman. I had no idea. Here she is talking to this guy. There's a phone. This this new job, Perkins, calls for imagination and a sense of humor. The pay is thirty-seven fifty per week. What? I don't understand that one. Um, here she is with the secretary again. I like that boy, Perkins. He he's cute, isn't he? Yes, he gives me just the right amount of resistance before he knuckles under. What? What is this? What's up with this character? Agatha Crumb. Here's the doorman. Good morning. Good good morning, Miss Crumb. Good morning, Miss Crumb. Oh, everyone else. Good morning, Miss Crumb. And then there's a cat. Good morning, Tabby. These really aren't funny, you know. All right, let me try and understand more about Agatha Crumb. So she's she's a, she's like the head of a, some sort of international corporation. Is there is there like can we find out about Agatha Crumb? MM, not MB. I can understand the. Yeah. Here we go, on Wikipedia. Agatha Crumb is is still going. <laughs> a newspaper strip created by the cartoonist Bill Host. Creator of the Lockhorns. Oh, the same guy that did the Lockhorns about the married couple that's constantly bickering. And distributed by King Feature Syndicate. The strip ran from October 27, 1977 till 1997. Agatha Crumb was Hearst's third strip following Bumper Snickers in 1974. Bumper Snickers? Here we go. The strip's title character was the eccentric, miserly, elderly owner of a cookie company. Comics historian Don Markstein described the active and agile crumb. Agatha may not have been as wealthy as Scrooge McDuck or Richie Rich, or maybe not even Rich Uncle Pennybags, but as the owner of Crumb Cookie Company, she was probably in the range of Mr. Abernathy, and that's about as wealthy as most tunes need to be. Even when they're financing a lifestyle that includes a lot of corporate wheeling and dealing, the seven-day comic strip where Agatha was introduced debuted from King Feature Syndicate on Monday, October 24, 1977. A report elsewhere that she'd begun exactly two months earlier is apparently an error, as August 24, 1977 was a Wednesday. She was old enough to rival Uncle Elby or Grandma, but spry and very active in the world of high-finance shenanigans. Between 1980 and 1983, Signet Books published three Agatha Crumb paperback collections, including The Return of Agatha Crumb. These, like, mass-market paperbacks. 
I, I'm very torn about this character because like I, I, I it ring she rings a bell, but I and I used to read the comic section all the time in that time period, right? But nothing that concrete. Let me see. Yeah, mass market paperback size. There it is, Agatha Crumb. Look at that. Too much is never enough. The famous female tycoon is back with more hijinks in the world of high finance. Interesting. Agatha Crumb. Hmm. Okay. So uh, what about the other comic strips that were represented in that image? Uh, Let's see. We have the guy in front of Agatha Crumb is... Oh, oh, she's holding up a quarter to play the game, too. Uh, What was this guy's name? Um, Arnold from Boomer. Mel Mel Casson. I guess his comic's name is Boomer. Never heard of it. Mel Casson is American cartoonist with a 50-year career. He is primarily remembered for his work on the daily comic strips Sparky, Angel, Mixed Singles slash Boomer, and Red Eye, plus numerous magazine cartoons. Hmm. Boomer. Yeah, it just doesn't doesn't ring a bell. Like I'm just trying to see any images of like Boomer. Like, is what is the Boomer? What's the concept here? All right, here, here here's a strip. The original art. Here's the original art. It sold in 2005. Let's see. Let's see let's see if this is funny. And he chuckles. Here we go. So it's a cowboy and like a woman with a headband. The cowboy's like, well, we can go to a cheap fast food place or an expensive slow food place. What are we really paying for in the slow food place? The service. Then they're in the restaurant. I'd like to see the chef, please. I'll tell him right away, sir. Table 14 wants to see me. And the chef slams the door in the waiter's face. He spills everything on the floor. The chef's like, clumsy oaf. Watch out for the butter. And then the chef trips and falls onto the table. And I guess Boomer says, we we only wanted to give you our compliments. Mm, that's, not, that's not really funny. It's really... <laughs> what the hell is up with these comic strips? Boomer. Okay, is this, is this like a, a okay boomer? I don't know. That one, let's just move on from that. I'm not really getting much from that. And finally, the guy that made the comics strip, there's two guys. Uh, scat and, and, and whiz bangs. Scat and, and whiz bangs. What, what, what could this be? Scat and whiz bangs. Scat and whiz. Let's just search for whiz bangs. Whiz bangs. Comic strip. Or maybe they're just from that Joysticks comic strip. Whiz bangs. No, no. 
Okay, all right, hold on a second. Gene Williams, whiz bangs. Gene Williams. No, no, not getting much of anything. Gene Williams, let me, let's just see comic strips. Maybe those were just the characters in the joysticks, which was only in Video Games Magazine. Let's see. The comic art of Gene Williams? Hmm. <laughs> Not getting much out of here. Uh, yeah. Joysticks? Is there any, how about joysticks? No, nothing, nothing. Wow, it's <laughs> really weird. I, I'm not really... So nothing, so these characters, nothing really. Joysticks. That's really cool though. I, li I like when there's a collection of characters like that. Huh, Agatha Crumb. Let me... Is any, is, let me go on eBay. What's the most expensive Agatha Crumb item you can get? Are there like dolls of Agatha Crumb and stuff? Just the books, yeah. Well, there's that, you know, there's the old woman characters like Maxine from Hallmark, Agatha Crumb, Mary Worth. And I remember there was a, uh, as you see often in comedy magazines, like a page of comics, but it's all parodies, and there was one called Mary Worthless. <laughs> Can we find that? I have no idea where that was from. I just remember Mary Worthless. And that was also a Cal Burnett character, Mary Worthless, really? Hmm. I don't feel like watching any clips from Carol Burnett. Nothing against her. I, I don't know. I'm just not really. Just in the moment, I really don't want that. Oh, EC Comics. Really? Wow, Mary Worthless from EC Comics. A riff on Mary Worth. Interesting. So let's just see. Let's see. So what issue? We're looking at 83. So let's... The next issue, right? Let's see if there's a joysticks in the next issue. Um, May 1983. Which has a lot of comic characters on the on the front cover. That's weird. Woody Woodpecker, Mickey Mouse, Popeye, Cookie Monster, Pink Panther, Strawberry Shortcake, Kermit the Frog, a Smurf, Spider-Man, Charlie Brown, Big Bird, <laughs> Donald Duck, Snoopy, and, and lurking in the back, like Casper the Friendly Ghost, maybe uh, Scooby-Doo. I don't even know what that character is in the back there looking through. Toy Fair. Cartoons, comics, Muppets, and puppets play the games. Hmm. Interesting. This is Killer Bees for Odyssey. I think a lot of the games that were advertised at this point like never came out because of the video game crash. Oh, look. Wow, oh my god, there's like a rendering for like a video game system, but it looks like uh it looks like that Nintendo DS. Wow, called uh, the Palmtex PVS. Wow, I I love that stuff that was advertised and promoted, but never, never, ever came out. 
was can that's a fascinating field of study. I'm, I'm I'm scanning the pages here to see if they have more of that joystick comic strip. Hmm. Oh wow, handheld video games. Little oh my god, that's really cool. Uh yeah, I'm not seeing it. Alright, I guess it'll have to be a... I don't know. What who is this guy? Gene Williams or whatever. Alright, any more eighty-three, eighty eighty-three the next issue. Maybe maybe the next issue has some comic strips. Or maybe that was the end. That that was the last one. I don't know. This is a very good magazine, by the way. I got into it because I have an issue of it here from uh I got a video game connection, so I went there recently. The Video Kid. Oh, there are comics. It's actually by Peter Bagg, the guy who went on to fame as an indie comic guy, guy kind of guy. Raiders of the Lost Arcade. Oh, here it is by by uh, Gene Williams. Those, I guess, those some of those characters are in there. Yeah. Okay, it's, and Matt Matt Howarth, wow, the Zyde Droid Legion, interesting. Wow, but let's just look at this one by Gene Williams in '83. It's it's like uh, Indiana Jones. They're walking down a corridor. Him and the, those characters. There comes a time when a man must face unknown challenges, when a man must take take on all obstacles, and that man is Indianapolis Bones. And here's the sidekick guys. Oh no, poisonous darts are shooting out from the walls. I knew we should have never come here on a Sunday. Indianapolis, help! Not now. I've almost got the high score. He's playing a video game. ET2, the extraterrestrial. That's it. I did it. 84 billion. Now I can put my initials in the machine. Not so fast, Bones. Someone else comes over. You've done your job well, but allow me to claim Z credit by placing my initials in Z machine. Well, well. René Relic, my French-speaking foe. How can you do such diabolical things? Easy. Before I became a full-time villain, I was Z warden at Devil's Island. To be continued. What? Incoherent. <laughs> oh man! Listen, I gotta stop reading these incoherent comic strips. Okay, what is it doing to my consciousness? Whatever that is, I don't know. I do like I do like the this the strip with these uh, obscure characters though. Oh wait, I wanted to see on eBay what were the other things that were available. I, I started that, but I didn't continue it. eBay, eBay. Now I'm now I'm gonna be obsessed with Agatha Crumb. Can you believe someone's selling their collection that they cut out of the magazine? There must have been a big Agatha Crumb fan to, to sell that for $5. All right, so you can get four rare books. The Born Loser, Frank and Ernest, another Born Loser book, and Agatha Crumb. Only twenty eight fifty six or best offer. Bunny Host Woman with Cartoon Clout. Hmm. More cut out 
framed matted comic strip. So wait, someone just printed it out and framed it? It must be pretty funny if they framed it. Okay, she's there in the office. I hope, Gibson, you're not letting your family life interfere with your work. And he has all these photo frames on his desk. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's really not funny. This is a good... I, all these books... Frank and Ernest, and that's another one. Agatha Crumb Comes to Town by Bill Hurst. Bunny Hurst. But what, what is the difference between Bill and Bunny Hurst? Bunny Hurst autograph signed letter with Agatha Crumb. With the Agatha Crumb le letterhead... Hold on a second here. Bunny Hurst. I'm, it's H-O-E-S-T, Hurst. I'm just hoist. I don't know how to pronounce that. Sometimes labeled the cartoon lady. Is the writer of several comic strips, including the Lockhorns, Laugh Parade, and Howard Huge. Wow, remember Howard Huge? One of those large dog comic strip characters. The first of which she inherited from her late husband, Bill Hurst. Okay, okay. She is the co-creator of Bumper Snickers in 74, Agatha Crumb in 77, Laugh Parade in 80, Howard Huge in 81, What a Guy in 86, and Honey Bunny's Short Tales in 1992. Okay, so she was the she was married to Bill. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay. That's kind of a cool letter with wow. Dear Sue, thank you for a great letter. It's great to hear from a reader with a fine sense of humor and a special feeling for Agatha Crumb. My husband and I created Agatha together, and I have been keeping the old girl going since his death in 1988. It's gratifying to know that you are one of the many people who are getting a kick out of the comics. Again, thanks for taking the time to write, and keep smiling. Sincerely, Bunny Hurst. Wow. Only, not, only $10 for that letter. Wow. I don't know if I'm quite ready to start collecting Agatha Crumb stuff, though. But uh, no original art. Let, let me just search. Let me one more thing. I know. I know this topic. I'm, I'm getting, going down this rabbit hole. Agatha Crumb original art. It can't be that much, right? I mean, no one really cares that much about Agatha Crumb anymore, except that woman Sue from that letter. <laughs> Here we go. Original art. Heritage auctions. Okay, come on, come on. Let's see. Um, well, let's read it first. She's the, the sexy Sarah secretary. Where is Dr. Bernhang, Miss Crumb? I'm afraid he has departed to a happier place, Winson, Winsome. Oh, my goodness. He's at the North Shore Golf Club. Holy fuck. These things are not funny. Anyway, yes, uh, let's see. Proxy bidding? Is this still available? Oh, wow, this might still be available. Hmm. Someone bid 50 and someone bid 100. I don't know. Could I do $101? I really don't. I want one that's funny, though. I don't want one that sucks like that one. Okay, here's another one. It's sold in 2018, but you have to sign in to see how much it's sold for. Okay. So, again, it's 
Agatha and uh, her secretary, Winsome. And Winsome says, But, Miss Crumb, money isn't everything. I know it isn't, Winsome, but with it, I can usually buy whatever's missing. Yeah, no. It's not funny. Uh, is there, are there any funny ones? I don't know. I guess most comic strips aren't funny, even though the word comic means funny, but yet they're not funny. So how do you figure that? How do you figure that out? Come on. Yeah. All right, enough. Enough of this. Thank you. Thank you, comic strip people. Thank you. Thank you for a frustrating few minutes trying to figure it all out. Do you guys mind if I try? <coughs> I mean, if it's all right, I think uh, I might be able to help. Uh, sure, it's your song. Show us what you got in mind. I'm watching this uh, TV show called uh, The Heights from 1992. <coughs> and I, f I forget exactly how I found it. Um, <coughs> but it's, it was a one-season show. Uh, the Heights is an American musical drama series that aired on Thursday at 9 o'clock on Fox from August 27th to November 26, 1992. I really don't remember it. Uh, it was uh, produced by Aaron Spelling. And uh, here's the synopsis. Uh, the Heights centered on a fictional band, also called The Heights, made up of mostly working-class young adults. Episodes regularly featured one of their songs. The eventual theme song for the show, How Do You Talk to an Angel, sung by cast member Jamie Walters, went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and was the first song from a television show to top the Hot 100 since 1985. What was the one in 85, though? As well as the first song by a fictional band to top the Hot 100 since 1969. I'm guessing that was the Archies, but we may have to see about this. The Heights premiered on August 27, 1992, to low ratings and never gained a substantial audience. <coughs> Fox canceled the series less than a week after the theme song fell from the number one spot. <coughs> so I guess it was not a very successful show. Thirteen episodes, one unaired. And, uh, yeah, the, um, <coughs> it's only available on YouTube. Someone uploaded the series. I hope it's a whole series to YouTube. Couldn't find it anywhere else. Uh, it's not really available anywhere else. It's a very low res. Looks like, you know, obviously ripped from someone's uh, VHS tape or something. Interesting show, though, <coughs> um, in that it stars, there's really no one recognizable except for Cheryl Pollock. <coughs> she uh, was fam made famous for her commercials for Jordache Basics. Yes, she's the one who said, I hate my mother. Let's see if we can find that. <coughs> I love those ads. Uh, <coughs> it was back when like commercials really had a big pop culture cachet. And I think this is one of the most famous commercials of all time. But yeah, there she is. She looks very different. It, it, she's much younger here. This is 86. 
Can we get this here? Come on. I hate my mother. There she is. She's so much prettier than me. So I guess that was 86, so 92. She's like uh, eight years older. Okay. Is that really the same person? Well, she has the same voice. I hate my mother. I hate my mother. She's so much prettier than me. Jordash Basics. <laughs> mother? Have you ever seen her mother? I have. I'm hoping she'll be divorced before I'm out of school. I found an old picture of her from when she was my age. Was she hot? No. <laughs> she was kind of short with freckles and a little bit overweight. Kind of like you? Exactly like me. So she actually, I, th I thought this was it for her. I didn't realize she actually had a career and was in the Heights. And uh, she does look quite different in the Heights. See, we'll take care of it from here. Well, wait a minute. Why don't we give him a chance? That's her. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. Song. This may be the song. How do you talk to an angel? <clears throat> I hear a voice in my mind. I know her face. <clears throat> was this really a number one song? Jeez. So, what was the other number one song from a TV show? <clears throat> where, where, where was this? Uh, any references on these things? Why, why aren't they uh, referencing this? <clears throat> They're keeping it very cryptic here. Hmm. Now I have to do the research. One moment here. So, 1985. Hmm. Wait. See also Catwalk, a 1992 to 1994 TV series about a fictional band with several of the same songwriters called The Heights. What? The Monkeys, of course, California Dreams. 1992 to 96 Saturday morning series about a fictional band who also had music by Steve Terrell and which uses Heights theme co-writer Barry Coffing and cast member Zachary Thorne as singing voices for the two characters. Hmm. <coughs> Song from a television show in 1985. Okay, we've got to find this. Now what could it be? It Could it be Greatest American Hero? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Mm, I can't find it. Riding away on a ring, wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Mm. And I'm assuming <coughs> Archie's Sugar Sugar must be the other one, right? Honey, do, 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 do. Sugar, sugar. You are my candy girl. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to do some research. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm like researching it. All right. So, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's got, yeah. It's the Archie's is that one. The other one. <coughs> 
Let me just see if it's the greatest American hero. Believe it or not, was that like number one? Can we hear it? Today's the day. No, come on with these ads. This advertising nightmare. Come on, I want to hear a song. I don't want to watch commercials, for God's sakes. Because they're not good commercials, like, I hate my mother. This must have been number one, right? Must have been. That was 81, though, so yeah, that was probably the same. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. I don't know what that one was. Alright. Anyway, there must... Uh, let me just look at the number one songs from 1985. Let's see. Like a Virgin, Madonna. I Want to Know What Love Is, Foreigner. Careless Whisper, Wham. Uh, we Are the World. USA for Africa. Just trying to see here. Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Tears for Fears. Good song. View to a Kill, Duran Duran. That's actually from a movie, not from a TV show. St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion. Good song. It's also from a movie. Miami Vice theme song. Yes, of course. Wow. That was number one. An, an instrumental. <clears throat> so I think we figured it all out. Crack the code. Is this it? Oh, I remember someone telling me, like, in this opening sequence, there's a high lie. That's the only reason people remembered high lie. The uh, game that has all but vanished from America. Yep, there's the high lie. Song number one. It must be pretty rare to have an instrumental number one. Let's see. Instrumental number one songs. The Happy Organ by Dave Baby Cortez. Sleepwalk, really? It's a good song. Because that's the one I'm thinking of. Edgar Winter Group Frankenstein, of course. A lot a lot of them went number one. Fly Robin Fly, that has words in it. I don't know if that's... Theme from Swat. A fifth of Beethoven. Huh. Chariots of Fire. Miami Vice theme. Yeah, so this, this, this is this it? Good stuff. Telstar, of course, by the Tornadoes. Anyway, another interesting part of the show, I'm just watching episode one, is that uh, one of the guys in the band has this microphone and he goes out and he's like recording everything to make samples. Uh, for example, like a garbage truck and billiard balls and things. I thought that was such a cool thing, like you know, going around and trying to capture the sounds. And there's another character that did that in this show. Oh, what the hell is this show called? I watched the whole show. The guy's name is Mark Duplass, I think. And uh, it was a show called like was it called Coupling, maybe? Where he played like an audio engineer in Hollywood, and he would go around and, and record everything. 
what was that show called? Coup- no, not it's not coupling. I think coupling's different. Friendhood or something? Ugh, to hell. I never can remember the name of this show. Mark Duplass. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. TV shows. Unlovable? No, that wasn't it. Was it called was it Unlovable? Oh, those are films. T- TV, TV, here we go. Togetherness. That's the name of the show. Togetherness. Yes. So he was recording sounds out in the field as well. It's fa- fairly rare for a uh, for their character to do that, I suppose. So let's see what togetherness is all about. It's an American comedy drama series created by Mark Duplass, Jay Duplass, and Steve Zissis. Uh, yeah, the Duplass brothers. One of whom acts and the other one doesn't. Series focuses on themes such as marriage and friendship. Yeah, it also starred Melanie Linsky, who was, uh, what was she in? She was in that, a few things. Melanie Linsky. Heavenly Creatures, yeah, that was that movie by um, Peter Jackson from 94. I think I saw that one. She's in a lot of stuff. But this togetherness, so there were 16 episodes. It was on from 2015 to 2016. Okay. And it got canceled after that. Hmm. I don't know if it's really worth worrying about, but it just it just came to mind. It's one of those shows that it's maybe not worth seeking out, but if it was on, it'd be fine, I suppose. I never, I don't plan to ever revisit it myself. He's obsessed with Cheryl Pollock, who hates her mother. Ninety-two, man. There's something about the 92, 93, 94, that time period. Very specific. But it's not, she's playing the saxophone. <laughs> wow. She's a saxophone player who hates her mother. Interesting. <laughs> I wonder if she's really playing it. I don't know. But I guess, like, really, these are, like, Gen X young adults, right? So it's my generation. Yeah. <clears throat> and their attitude towards life and everything else. Because it, if it is my generation, that's why I find it so compelling, I suppose. <clears throat> the unique set of weird circumstances that we grew up with. One foot in the past and one foot in the future as Generation X. The crossover generation from the old world to the new world. Something like that. It makes sense. Cheryl Pollock was born uh, like a month before me. August, not, not even. Yeah, one month before me. August 31st, 1967. So, yes. Generation X. Oh, so that when they play the song at the end of the episode, it's like a music video. It's like a montage of scenes, including the audio guy recording a basketball bouncing on the ground.
apparently that guy who's singing went on to star in Beverly Hills 90210 for 40 episodes a few years later. The rest of these actors, I don't know whatever they did, what they ever did. This is a good show. I don't know why it failed. People didn't like it. it kind of reminds me of like Reality Bites, like that whole kind of like early 90s vibe. Executive producers Aaron Spelling and E. Duke Vincent. We're seen from the next episode of The Heights. Thursday, for Alex and Rita, the hate between them isn't just coming from their music. And now that Dizzy's going to be a father, he's decided to get married. You have to woo her. You must eat, sleep, and dream romance. A lot of stuff goes into this wooing. Will you marry me? The Heights, an all-new episode next Thursday. Tomorrow night, he may be the most dangerous fugitive in America. A one-man crime spree who stands accused of terrorizing the citizens of at least three states. Get the clues to help bring him to justice on America's Most Wanted. Then, see startling visual evidence that could prove modern-day monsters really do exist on sightings after America's Most Wanted tomorrow. And this Sunday, get ready for the funniest <laughs> night of the summer, beginning with a special pre-Emmy party with The Simpsons. Then, join Tim Allen, Kirstie Alley, Roseanne Arnold, Candace Bergen, and many more of TV's brightest comedy stars on the 44th Annual Emmy Awards. It all happens Sunday on Fox. Wow. Great. And look out the window there into my backyard. There's a piece of wood that pierced through the roof of my garage. It's on the metal table. She turned it into a work of art. The piercing wood. Or not. Uh, yeah. Yep, there we are. Thank you so much for patching into this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here at the end of November of 2023. We're here inside uh, OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. Go to OnSug.com or grab a copy of the book in the far future. For everything you need, that's that's the idea. Right now there's a website, onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com, onsug.com. But I'm anticipating, uh, the plan is in, in into the far future when there's really probably not going to be many more .com internet websites that far in the future, that uh, the book will, as an object, as an idea, will, will contain everything. It will be a, a, a print book that you can hold in your hands. And incorporated into it will be a memory chip with all of the shows on it, right? That could be done today. I'm, I'm working on it. But also, as in the virtual reality, the book will also exist in book form in the virtual universe with all of the data inside of it, all of the shows, right? And then it also exists in your mind as an idea, this book that has a radio station inside of it. And we have over 14,000 hours of audio content uh, in that book. 
that you can listen to. So it's kind of, is it an audiobook? Kind of, kind of not. Um, you know, it take over a year and a half, a year and seven months, actually, uh, to hear everything. Um, and we're looking forward to using some kind of a automated system, AI, whatever, to uh, create a listening experience based on the vast amount of content, making it much easier to listen to and cross-reference things, etc. Um, now that you know about Onsug Radio, um, you have it at your disposal for the rest of your existence, on into future existences. That's the idea of Onsug Radio. It's a, it's a single book that contains a lifetime of listening pleasure and um, still very much an ongoing project. Thanks so much for listening. <clears throat> you can buy uh, the previous edition of the book at the website right now, or the next edition is imminent. I am going to get it done next month. I'm very close. I'm very close. I'm working on the intro now, the, the uh, updated Onsug story. Then I have to do the back cover, the spine. I do have the I have the cover already. Um, just a few last bits and pieces, which that stuff is very the, the the straggler stuff is very hard to get going. But I'll get it. I'll get it done. Looking towards uh, next month to get it done. So there'll be a new version of the book. You can buy it as a print-on-demand book sooner rather than later. But yeah, check out onsug.com for all the latest shows. And usually this is the point in the show where I mention Overnightscape Central. At the moment, it's on hiatus. Uh, PQ ended his tremendous run on the show for 13 years, one year of which was done by Jimbo. So the show is on hiatus now, Overnightscape Central. This is a show where you can participate. Uh, and I am... If you're interested in taking over the show, please let me know. We haven't heard from anyone yet offering to take over the show. As uh, it, I definitely have too much on my plate to do it as a monthly show. I'm thinking maybe, a, a, I mean, as a weekly show, which currently it has been a weekly show for its entire run. I don't think I, I could possibly have enough energy, time, whatever, motivation to do it as a weekly show, as I'm already sort of overextended on my uh, creative stuff. But uh, I, I am thinking of doing it as a monthly show. And uh, if, no one's, if, if no one is interested in taking it over, I think I will take it over in January 2024. That's my current thinking. We'll see how it goes. But I do want to bring the show back, and uh, we shall see. But, of course, the characteristics of this project, Onsug Radio, are that uh, we are very uh, focused on preserving our shows on into the far future. We feel most of our audience is in the far future. And I do think that this is a uh, this is going to turn out to be a particularly interesting time period that many people in the future will want to look back and, and understand, uh, especially the those magic years from uh, I'd say from forty five to ninety five, nineteen forty five to nineteen ninety five. That really that sweep of history, the transition from analog to digital, uh, as a very unique point. And then uh, the few the years after that, which were now obviously a few years later than that, almost thirty years later, uh, we're we're now able to uh, produce this kind of audio, like this kind of ephemeral audio, hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of hours of audio that can be stored without putting them on cassette tapes, um, digital audio, which was really when I started this show in two thousand three, I couldn't even 
I had I couldn't only put a couple episodes up at once because web hosting accounts would contain maybe 20 megabytes of space. An MP3 file is way bigger than that. And I started my bluffcosm.com um, project, internet radio project, because there's a site called mp3.com that would host your MP3s for free. I think they would host 10 at a time. And uh, it was like a breakthrough to be able to host audio online. That, that's fairly recent history, too. Um, and then I think the following five years, from like 2003 to 2008, it became much easier to host things online, you know, the storage capacities, the servers and everything. But So this is pretty new. And, um, you know, I feel like uh, most podcast projects are kind of, people do it for a few months and stop and then they lose all the files and there's nothing left and you know so our our focus on preservation for the future our unique style and we're a non-commercial project as well all make us uh very different than anything else out there so thanks for listening spread the word help preserve the files what what can you do whatever you can do is much appreciated now we're going to reach some more great heights with uh, a cartoon universe far beyond anything you could imagine. With weird, barely remembered comic strip characters around every corner. It is The Other Side. <laughs>
listening to BluffCosm.com. BluffCosm.com, yes. This is Frank Edward Nora. And Peter Joseph Litke. And this is John Nora. That's my brother, John. And uh, today on uh, BluffCosm, coming right up, is going to be a new episode of Bublin A. Richardson called The Flint Orwell Program. Flint Orwell, yes, one of my favorites. What did you guys, uh, what did you guys think of, the, uh, of, of this uh, recording? I thought it was pretty cool indeed. But you know what? I was really, really like feeling for Bublin. I know this you one know? was tough on Bublin, and this is gonna, you know, it's gonna be coming right up. And uh, my brother John, he actually he reprised his role as Anthony Nero. And uh, what was it like being Anthony Nero again after like almost ten years? Well, it's it's basically I'm just playing myself, but a lot more pretentious than usual. Yeah. And uh, I think I think it was a good episode. We got yeah, it done in about an hour, and it was just for something that was done so. Quickly. I know we did it in like under an hour, but anyway, uh, I brought Pete a present here, and, br- and the show's coming up. The Bublin uh, Richardson's coming up in a minute, but I want Pete to try some of this blue cotton candy that blue I bought him from candy. the store. So please try some. Pete, is this is going to be the first time actual cotton candy has been eaten on BluffCosm.com? Oh my God! Let's so say this is an actual like little bag, like you'd get for, <laughs> for chips or something, and there's blue cotton candy blue in there. Blue cotton candy. And it, and it was on sale for 99 cents. <laughs> 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 Blue cotton candy, okay? <laughs> anyway, uh, you're listening to BluffCosm.com. <laughs> coming, coming up next, right now, is Bublin A. Richardson with the Flint Orwell program. Give me some of that cotton candy. Mmm. Mm. Delicious toxic waste. <laughs>
Since April 1st, all passenger train service in Canada has been controlled by VIA, a government agency. Last night, City Pulse took you on a trip aboard the Rapido to Montreal. Tonight, we take a look at the actual changeover of CN's colors to the blue and gold of VIA. Here in Montreal at the Point St. Charles Canadian National Repair Depot, this is where VIA physically comes into actually being VIA. The old color of Canadian National used to be the off-green and the green lines and the Canadian maple leaf with the red lettering. They then changed, of course, to what we know as CN today, and this is the bright red, the off-white, and the black. But let's take this car, follow it through, and see how we wind up with a VIA car instead of this particular car. The coaches are moved into the huge barns and are set upon by an army of men. First, the sanders go at the coaches, taking all the former paint off the car, and interior workers completely strip the car of all furnishings. Metal workers clean up any damage or dents done to the metal sides, and once this is done, then the train coach moves into the hands of the designers. Once all the sanding has been done and all of the paint's gone, VIA may decide that they want to change the looks of the car. For those of you that are train butts, you may remember this kind of a coach with a bathroom window and frosted glass right here. Well, VIA didn't like that. They've covered it all over. Now there's no window. What they did decide to do was put a window where there wasn't one. So they cut a hole in the wall. There's your window. While the interior receives new colors and furnishings, the car is covered with paper and the paint job takes over. Painters take about 15 minutes to completely cover the car with blue paint. That's the basic color of VIA. Once the paint has dried, then the car is recovered with design paper and the yellow paint is applied. This will give the cars the yellow lines which end with the logo VIA. It isn't only the exterior and the interior of the coaches that gets uh, changed here at the uh, Point Claire shop. You wind up with a new set of wheels and a whole new truck. And that, of course, is what the coach and you ride on. The wheel assembly plant dismantles the truck assembly on the coaches, and the wheels are either reground or replaced. A high-pressure wheel alignment machine fits the wheels to the axle and aligns them so they rule smoothly and safely for brake application. A giant overhead crane picks up the finished axle and wheel assembly, whisks it away to the other side of the plant where it's placed into the spring and truck assembly. Each wheel costs around $2,000, each axle about $1,500, and the truck assembly about $6,000. So you're riding on a grand total of $28,000 worth of metal. But it isn't only the passenger coaches and the bar cars that get the refurbishing now that VIA has taken over. I'm sitting in the front end of the big diesels that pull those trains. And it, too, has to go through the change in color. And once the diesel has been refurbished and repainted, it comes out to be one of the beasts that pull out of the VIA train. Tomorrow night we'll take a look at something entirely new in the train field, something that has been running here for at least a couple of years, successfully that is. Now it's coming under VIA and it's called the Turbo Train. For now, this is what you'll be seeing across Canada for a good many years to come. This is Glenn Cole at the Point St. Charles Canadian National Yards in Montreal for City Pulse News.
kind of a normal, God-fearing young man would derive pleasure from passing around pictures of his, his genitals to a girl's typing class. Remember the signs of arousal? Nipples, Alex. When they're hard, it's a dead giveaway. And breathing. Watch for heavy breathing. I like your Polaroids. I didn't know that you and Richard had so much in common. Whoa! Enemy attack from the rear. I think I'm gonna be sick. Hey, yeah. does this thing get that sex channel? There's no time Beautiful. to lose. Take off your clothes and put on the slit underwear. Mmm, that feels good. Let me repeat that for those of you on drugs. Contrary to the rumor, the Boys Bleed Club will not be allowed to participate in the homecoming parade this Saturday with their giant sex organ float. I like it. Let's go, Nick. You were terrific, Alex. Don't miss the stripped-down fun and hot-wired action of the funniest, sexiest, craziest movie comedy around. Getting it on.
Meet Joe. Take off his trunks. And mother. This could be interpreted as perverted behavior. And introducing. How do you do, sir? I'm Wendell Tavette. My name's Wendell Tavette. Hi, I'm Wendell Tavette. Nice to meet you. They're three fun-loving fraternity brothers on vacation. Welcome to Palm Springs, you asshole. Fraternity vacation. You know, I try to treat these kids decently when they come into town. Pack it up, let's go home. I'm fair, I'm lenient. I order you to depart. What thanks do I get? They're determined to make new friends. Hi, boys. Mind if we join you? And share a holiday adventure <laughs> they'll never forget. Some doctor thinks he's found a cure for herpes. Boy, would that be a relief? And he's going to learn how to mingle. Gossip. He owns one of the largest pig farms in central Iowa. And get first-class service. Can I buy you a drink? Would you care to dance? I guess a blowjob in the parking lot would be out of the question. It's not just another holiday excursion. Fraternity Vacation. It's the comedy that asks the question, Have you dicks got anything better to do? We do everything. Oh, great. Fraternity Vacation. If we had it to do over, we'd do it again! All in the National Guard. Fraternity Vacation. It's the best time of the year. tree, the trumpets in the forest are done for. Now I will claim the overlord's prize. 
Oh no. What's up? Uh, uh, what did you do last night? Well, I began to administer CPR. Oh, oh yeah? Well, what did Tom say? Tom estimates it was about ten minutes before he detected a pulse. Ten, ten minutes? Well, when did professional help arrive? And five minutes more before professional help arrived. Oh, really? What, what happened then? By the time they took the man to the hospital, the paramedics made it clear to Tom that he had definitely saved the man's life. Uh, did uh, Tom have any comments? Tom comments, I think anyone would have done just what I did. It was my moral obligation. That's... Yeah, yeah, great. Um, not, who, who was that again? That's Tom Finn of Mount Prospect, Illinois. Saving a life by meeting an obligation in the American character. Uh, American character? God, give me a break. You're such an asshole, Carl. What can I tell you? It was a long time ago. I don't want to talk about that no more. I don't want to talk about that thing no more. Galaxy Productions presents Murder in Martinsville. It's on Spring Run in Martinsville where the scene started. The professor is walking along in his backyard.
Today, a hundred years after his death, he's being taken from the little village where he lived to lie for the rest of time in the Pantheon, the burial place of Francis Great. Yeah, we can't get in the front door unless we have a cabana there. And uh, we just did a survey this week. I had a, an associate of mine, Lee Paulette, who went in and cross-checked the voter register. Sorry to say that President uh, Sadat probably uh, does not remember the details of what happened uh, that accurately uh, at this point. Mr. Kraft? Your Majesty, many people think that the main obstacle to further agreement is Prime Minister Pagan. Afterward, Helen Keller, Louis Braille's great disciple, is made Chevalier of the Legion of Honor.
to the Walt Disney World Vacation Complex, including Epcot Center and the Magic Kingdom. Today, Epcot Center is open from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. The Magic Kingdom is open from 9 a.m. to 12 midnight. If you're going to a Walt Disney World Resort Hotel, please follow the signs or use the two far right-hand lanes at the Magic Kingdom or Epcot Center off Plaza. Ask the host or hostess any dining or lodging questions you may have. If you need handicapped assistance or information, also use the far right-hand lanes. For your best ticket value, Choose a three- or four-day multi-day world passport and save between $10 and $19.50. Multi-day passports are good for unlimited admission to both parks, plus use of all Walt Disney World transportation. Use your multi-day world passport three or four days in a row or one day at a time, any day of the week, month or year, any year, until you've enjoyed all three or four visits. Multi-day world passports are good forever. For your convenience, three kennels are located throughout the vacation kingdom and provide service for a nominal charge. Please do not leave pets in the car. Strollers and wheelchairs may be rented at the Magic Kingdom or Epcot Center entrance. This is 11 WTTW Public Television for Chicago. Good evening, I'm Jim Ruddle. The Illinois legislature considers veto overrides, and Jim Thompson says don't do it. I'm John Calloway. Tokyo Rose files for a presidential pardon. I'm Johanna Steinmetz, and I check out the Arlington Park Theater, where currently women are running the show. Christine Harris has a report on the supplemental freeway system, and Sanford Unger reports on the latest probe of the Martin Luther King assassination. Wednesday, November 17, 1976. From the Channel 11 Public News Center, this is the Callaway Ruddle Report. Four members of a radical Arab terrorist group burst into the Intercontinental Hotel in, Be in uh, Amman, Jordan, that is, today, setting off a four-hour shootout that left seven persons dead. The terrorists were protesting the Arab League backing of Syria's intervention in the Lebanese Civil War. Jordanian commandos eventually killed three of the terrorists and seriously wounded the fourth. Meanwhile, in Lebanon, pro- and anti-Syrian Palestinians fought a fierce but brief skirmish in Beirut. Syrian peacekeeping troops finally brought the situation under control. The Rhodesian Conference logjam seemed to move a little today when two black nationalist leaders, Robert Mugabe and Joseph Nkomo, agreed to talk about an interim government before a date for independence has been fixed. Until today, they had flatly refused to enter such discussions without a guaranteed independence date. Governor-elect James Thompson today called on the Illinois legislature not to override any of Governor Dan Walker's money bill vetoes. Thompson's plea came just before the legislature convened in Springfield for a veto session.
lava pours out near the sea surface, tremendous volcanic explosions sometimes occur. In time, submarine seamounts or islands are formed. When lava flows underwater, it behaves differently. At times, pouring forth like giant globs of toothpaste, called pillow lava. biology dives are over. Now Ballard with cameraman Al Giddings gets his chance to search out new vents. See how many vents we can find. I think we're going to find a lot. But the elusive dandelion is still something the whole ship's company wants to collect. Okay. Go cave diving. Okay. All right. Donley Dandy Snagger. Yeah, well... A new contraption to capture a dandelion in one piece has been put together by the crew. The preparation for a dive is always a tense time. But once the sub starts down, the crew, Ballard, Giddings, and pilot Ralph Hollis, can allow themselves a few moments to relax. 